Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. to everybody tuning in you are now rocking with the lark cast and if you were a subscriber and a follower of the slowdown podcast you might be wondering what the heck is going on right now <laughs> yes i yes. used to listen to this podcast called the slowdown podcast but now it's called the lark cast but i recognize tony's voice and that beautiful old southern raspy voice that welcomed me in the intro <laughs> i know that voice that's russell that's russell johnson what's up russ how much man how much it's uh it's good to be back dude it's good to be back on here man and getting some conversation started uh you know talking a little bit about just man what is what is the lark cast and you know hey really quick what the heck is lark even <laughs> yes right? and uh you know just sort of kick this thing off with style so i say we do this man for anybody who's chiming in for the very first time let's just give a little quick introduction to who we are before we dive into those questions so i'm gonna go ahead and begin and say it's my friend tony on the podcast he's that other voice that sounds different than mine he likes to wear beanies he wears glasses like a serial killer from the 80s um but he's a big jolly dude with a beautiful beard some pretty amazing tattoos, great taste in bourbon and cigars, wonderful family, a beautiful wife named Pam, four fantastic kids, a Bears fan through and through. If you think of Tony, think of 90s hip hop. Think of red wing boots. Think of a dude dialed in on every square inch of his style wherever <laughs> he goes at any time. This guy makes sure he looks good before he brings the garbage out on Monday mornings. If you're meeting him for breakfast, you can rest assured he's going to look like he woke up three hours before you and got everything dialed in. But on a fun note, he's always the life of the party, and he always welcomes people with a big giant smile and a big bear hug like it's just going to happen. He's a good leader. He's a good thinker. He's a great designer. This is my friend, Tony Sorchi. Dude, I am about to cry. That was like, that was so awesome. And the fact that I have to follow that up to introduce you is frankly just bullshit <laughs> because like we didn't, we didn't write that down. We didn't rehearse this. We're not practicing this. You crushed it, man. So I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go right here. Live pressure's on. I got to rise to the challenge. What you got, man? What you got? For those who don't know, and you're new to the LARCast, this is the first time you're hearing us banter back and forth. This is my buddy, Rush Johnson. He hails from Southwest Florida. He is an old Southern soul. He's married to his <laughs> wife, Krista, who might just be a tad bit more awesome than he is. It's true. He's got three kids. Whoa. Check that four kids. Cause he just adopted one of his own in his family recently. So he has as many kids as I do now. His, his life is as busy as mine, row, row. but this dude is an expert in all things in all things. How about we just say that? All things. 
He's an expert at all things. And if you hang out with him, there's not a damn thing that he doesn't know something about. There's not a single conversation that this dude can't jump into and just break something down and drop a gem of wisdom and knowledge on you. And I personally have benefited from you as a leader, as a thinker and an experienced person. And so I'm thankful for that. I cannot tell my story without telling the story of Russ Johnson, but he's got a really, really cool truck that's sitting in his dad's garage barn, if you will, in South Carolina. This thing's got a throat on it, man. Like, I can't wait for you to get this thing down to Fort Myers where you live. He's a purveyor of jewelry, wrist, (laughs) wrist metal. He's got, he's got rings on and it makes it work. I have tried to wear rings and wrist metal, but I do not look as cool as you. So I'm not even going to try. He's a foodie of all foodies, capital F foodie. In fact, you can't go anywhere or eat anything without basically a blog level type breakdown and explanation of any food, any plate. And he's versed in a wide variety of different foods, backgrounds, food from different places, but mostly right is an expert on Southern food, Cuban food, all the things that he had a good taste of growing up in Tampa. Mm. Um, two of his oldest kids are gingers. And I like that. Cause I'm a ginger myself. I mean, they're way more ginger than I am, <laughs> but it, it's definitely like to the level where it's like, you know, we're brothers. We're what I say about Blake is a brother from another mother. And what I say about Emily is a sister from another mister, <laughs> um, a leader, like no other he's in the top three of people that I respect the most. In my life, he's a fan of outlaw country. He will give you a very, very extensive oral history breakdown <laughs> of outlaw country. He just knows a lot of crap about a lot of crap. Yikes, man. Lover of cigars, lover of whiskey, lover of food, lover of music. Rush Johnson, everyone. I don't know if that it, I don't I don't think that that compared to yours of mine, but it was I, that was my best shot at it. Well, I'm no, honestly man. I was I, I was I was struck struck by the brilliance of your introduction to mine that I'm just like, I'm shook. I'm just shook. Well, you definitely, you definitely, I think you, you, you won that, that, that little show down there, man, because you brought a lot more depth and insight into, uh, into my story, man. So that said, um, one thing you didn't mention is that Russ Johnson is, um, has a very sinful competitive nature. Oh, damn. now, now I must continue I must continue my introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Russ is like, man, that was great. But here's like eight things you didn't mention. No, I was going to go on, man, and just, you know, add another few paragraphs to the, to the bio for, uh, for you, man. But, um, we'll hold up there, dude. I think that's a good little, a good little picture, man, of who we are. And for those of you who are listening, we've, um, operated up to this point under the banner of table network something that I started based out of when I was uh, living in Chicago, my wife and I back in uh, early 2014, Tony and his family jumped in right after we got things going. We've been running together in ministry for years, um, really just helping people grab onto the good news of Jesus in a way that they could begin to love on the people around them and pass on this good news uh, of the liberation they found Mm. and what God has done and declared among us all, which has been a really fun journey. And we've loved every minute of it. But just sort of seeing where cultures moved and some of the things that are happening in society right now, we decided to open the doors a little wider and bring good news to a much broader audience and just yeah. really 
in a sense, like help people grab on to all that God has done and declared. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this phenomenon that we refer to as grace and what life looks like in that grace in all aspects of life. So just think everything uh, spiritually, right? Mentally, physically, um, as an individual, as a parent, as a child, as a brother, as a sister, as a business leader, as a right, as an employee. I mean, as a member of you know your neighborhood, as a as a citizen within your city, and I mean, on and on and on it goes. And everything we missed. Yep, we're going to be covering everything you can imagine in life, in and through again the declaration of Jesus. It is finished all that is needed for us to dwell in relationship with god and with one another has been taken care of and it'd be a damn shame for us to keep missing out on the life god has actually given us yeah so that's the lark that's a great way to say this conversation right and then i think that's a great way to say it yeah i think i think that's what we're gonna be hitting on man and but with that you know always comes a question of okay cool that's the lark cast love it know a little about you guys so what is this lark what is lark this new mm. thing you guys are doing now in place at Table Network. What is what is this? And uh, I think that's the conversation we're going to be diving into here on this episode. Yep, for I sure. I think there's some cool things for us to to see and to grab on. That'll be an encouragement to, to anybody, man, that's listening in on this. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the best way to kick that conversation off is just say, well, to explain what Lark is, to even talk about it, uh, we'd have to just go ahead and right out of the gate, begin with... With this statement, it seems like the call to be better and do more is louder than ever before. Wouldn't you agree, bro? Um, yes, yeah. absolutely. It's a hundred percent. It's almost daunting. It's not even almost daunting. It is daunting. It's overwhelming. Yeah. It's people. Ex- it's ex- it's exhausting. Yes. Yes. Um, I was talking to somebody, uh, you know, yesterday I said, man, from what we've been able to learn and see traveling the country and abroad over the last seven years is uh, people are literally drowning everywhere under the weight of the imaginary self they are failing to become and under the weight of the imaginary society, the ideal society, you could say that they're failing to build. Hmm. And there's a lot of exhaustion and a lot of division and a lot of burnout and a lot of burdens that people are carrying right now. Hmm. Um, and we're just looking at this thing and going, yeah, this seems to be completely at odds with what God has invited us into a way Um, that I've been saying it recently is like, it seems like we're so consumed with what ought to be and what should be instead of what is. hmm. And that's a tricky way to say it because I feel like, yeah, there's much about us that wants to improve maybe personally, maybe like in our own homes or in our communities or in the world. Um, And I think that that's a good thing. I think that comes from a good place. But when we're constantly and incessantly dealing in the realm of what ought to be and what should be, right? We can never really be honest about what actually is or even enjoy what is. And there's a nugget, right? In like really where we're going with this, there's a nugget about who God's, what God is like that allows us to really just kind of just enjoy and rest in the present, focus on what is and not be so consumed with constantly trying to become something better. Which sort of, you know, really ties into what you were just saying, man, just in relation to what God is like, because whenever that conversation comes up and like what you just said is declared, we find a lot of people pushing back going, well, well, isn't that not what God has called us to? I mean, did Mm -hmm. he not like say like, do this and do this and don't do this and you know, it's almost like there's this belief that, uh, you know, that, you know, if we can all become the best version of ourselves, will we not then have the ideal society? 
I mean, is this not what we should be, you know, moving towards? And it's a tricky, it's a tricky, you know what I mean? Question it almost kind of seems noble, right? Like right. that seems like a noble pursuit, like something we should be doing. This is good. You know, we should amp up, you know, the cancel culture. We should get serious about finding people, you know what I mean? And all these things that they've done wrong. We should get serious about fixing this over here. And we should get really serious about politics and education. And, you know, we, and it almost like becomes like this, this treadmill of performance, you know, that's very much centered on us and what we can achieve. Yeah. And we're so, looking at it going, yeah, it sounds good, but. Right. And there's dangerous we've thought through, is there like a one word that we yeah. can apply to like this, um, this culture of, of challenge, do better, mm. be better, do more, um, ideal self, ideal society. And we've kicked it around, you know, what's a, what's just a, a lunch pail yeah. word, you know, an umbrella word that we can apply to all this. And we landed on the word moralism. And I feel like yep. that's a really good word to describe because it seems like even people who are on opposite sides of one another, let's say you're like, let's say you believe in God or you don't believe in God. Let's say you're on the left or you're on the right. Let's say you're on opposite positions on opposite sides of a one real hot button issue. It seems like everybody's making the moralistic argument. Yeah, Everyone's rooting everything that they're doing in morality and moralism. Mm -hmm. like one of the ways that I try to describe it is uh, moralism enslaves people to the myth of independence uh, and the belief that progress is needed and control is possible. Hmm. Okay. It's a uh, moralism uh, enslaves people to, to, to the idea that we eventually make ourselves right by what we do. Okay. We make ourselves right by what we think. We make ourselves right by what we value and what we don't value, what we say and what we don't say, what we do and what we don't do. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody sort of has like their own little, you know, camps that we find, right, throughout society. And just to be clear, um, we find this in the church. Okay. This is not something that's like foreign to the church world. In fact, what we're seeing right now is churches are jumping into this to this idea of moralism like never before. Right. So much so that um, when you're looking at companies that are pushing their, you know, their positions or social movements that are pushing their positions or social media platforms that are doing this, or even governments that are doing this, we're finding where the church is doing the same thing. Yeah. They just sort of like, like drag Jesus into this myth of progress, this idea that, that a better you is needed and you can, you can get there with these tools and metrics, sure. with this community and accountability, right? And again, it sounds noble, looks good, man, but it's actually robbing us of the very life God himself, the maker of all people has given us. Mm -hmm. And so I think just in seeing that, we were like, you know what? We need a platform, man, that goes beyond the surface debates. We need a platform that goes beyond all the semantics and the ins and outs and all the arguments, something that invites people to come dive into the very root of life, dive into the very core, okay? What's at the heart of what's going on in us and around us? Because- mm -hmm. I mean, the only way to see what God is like sometimes is to expose what's robbing our sight. And that's, that's moralism, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's what looks like, you know, what's being said is moving us toward, you know, the utopia we desire is actually enslaving us to the very opposite. Yeah. And I think the truth ultimately wins out in life yeah. as much as we would like to uh, grab onto um, systems, ideas, behaviors, beliefs that um, are very appealing to people who want to become the best mm. version of themselves or want to be a, a part or take part in the best 
the world can possibly be. Um, every person I know who's really truly honestly pursued that with heart, mind, soul, dollars, time usually ends up just very exhausted. Yeah. Very exhausted, very worn out from making sure they think, say, do all the right things in order to belong and making sure everybody else is doing, thinking, saying, right? All the right things in order to uh, belong. And we're saying, I don't think an honest look at the scriptures or an honest look at God um, in the face of Jesus and in the life of Jesus and in the what what Jesus did and accomplished on life would cause us to believe that that bitter moralistic pursuit is yeah. really the life God has given us. Yeah. Yeah, man, we're it's almost like we're doing everything we can to achieve virtue and you have God saying actually the life you long for, the joy, the peace, the rest, the wonder, okay? Um the purpose, the meaning, all these things that you long for. They're actually found at the end of your virtuous rope, which come you know, on when you right come when you on. see that you're like, whoa, okay. Now I'm starting to understand a little bit why why the the religious right and the cultural right and the ready for this and the religious left and the cultural left both okay eventually hated Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they didn't agree on much, bro. No, they found it, themselves at odds at every turn, and there's one thing they did agree on: this yeah. cat got to go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because he's exposing, right, this this myth of individualism, what the Bible, right, refers to as sin, okay? Like sin, by definition, this word that gets tossed around, like probably the best way to define it, according to the scriptures, is um, self-reliance. Mm, that's that's probably the best way to define it. Mm-hmm. Self, like sin is just, it's, a, it's the spirit of self-reliance. Confident independence. Yeah, so we see that like early on in the scriptures, right out of the gate when God makes us. You know, he could have made right robots. Um, you know, he could have made us in a way that forced us to do and think and say all that, you know what I mean, that he desires. But according to what I'm seeing, it's like he instead chose to create humanity out of a desire for a relationship, hmm. for community. Okay. Like uh, I started to think about it. I was talking to my daughter the other day. She's uh, she's 19. She's a freshman in college. And we were talking about this the other day. And I said, honey, think about it like this. Your mom and I chose to have children on purpose. Um like we wanted children. We wanted a family. We wanted people in our very immediate family to love on and to grow with and to learn with and to share, to share life with. She's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, we didn't want robots. Hmm. We could have went bottom. We didn't want uh, some programmed version. You know what I mean? Of, of, of some, you know what I mean? Like artificial intelligence, you know what I mean? Sure. Person walking around so that everything would all be all hunky dory and smooth in our home. Hmm. Instead, we wanted someone to love and we wanted to experience the love that also came from them. Hmm. And I said, it looks like that's kind of how, like that's God's desire in the making of us. But this, this sin, right? This self-reliance, it's going to come with the free will to choose. Hmm. Can't be a relationship or love, right? Apart from that, just to be yeah. clear. So God knowing this, right? Allows this and he creates us. And with that spirit of self-reliance comes this, this just the reality that we, we, we all buy this myth of individualism. Hmm. Okay. And we buy this, this myth of progress is needed and control is possible. Right. And this life is it, man. Hmm. YOLO. Right. And it's all about you and achieving all about you and everything you can make, you know what I'm saying? Everything you can create, everything you can be and do in the here and now. 
but I'm like, but according to the scriptures, like YOLO is actually not true. It would, the phrase would actually be YODO. In other words, like you, you don't just live once you actually live forever. The truth is you only die once. Mm. <laughs> and I think seeing that man allows us to sort of pull back and go, Oh, there's this much broader story out there that God's invited us into. Mm. But this, man, this, this spirit of self-reliance, man, it seems to grab onto what we call the most deceptive drug in the world, the most deceptive, the most addictive, and the most destructive drug in the world, moralism. Yeah. And we opt for it, man, in our camps. And, uh, you know, just, just to be clear, it's like we, and then out of it, you're watching everyone and their mother, including ourselves, because we struggle with this, just to be clear, you start to see like, oh, so that's why we fear and strive. That's why we posture and hide. That's why we create labels and form tribes. Mm. Oh, because we're just, there's this thing in us, man, that just doesn't want to let go. Yeah. So we can actually live. Yeah. People who, um, and I found this to be true of myself, people who are dialed mostly into becoming um, better people often eventually come to the conclusion that they don't need the people around them that aren't as good as them. Mm. And they start to, right. They really start to like move on from those people thinking that they need to find people like on their level, they lack empathy, they lack grace, they lack love, they lack Mm -hmm. forgiveness. Because I think the things that really are at the heart of the kind of things that we really want to be true about ourselves, it's not found in our crushing it. Um, It's found in our being crushed. And you, you alluded earlier to this idea of death. And of course you were talking about death in a very literal sense, Yeah, but the Bible talks about um, our death in a very kind of, I would say a metaphorical sense Mm -hmm. Uh, death as in this coming to a reality that we're not enough. We'll never be enough. And even Mm -hmm. our best attempts at being the best version of ourselves actually produces the opposite of what we, what we want, you know, and we think that it's the ascension up this like ladder or hill or mountain, right. Um, that we think we're going to find this significance at the yeah. top of these like self-imagined mountains, these apexes, these pinnacles that we kind of make for ourselves. And everybody's got a different one. They might think yeah. it's, you know, belonging in a political affiliation. They might think like they're going to get their physical body to, you know, a certain place. They might think it's in, you know, um, you know, business um, or even, you know, financial, you know, ventures or maybe even family, if they can get their family to a certain place or, you know, whatever the case, you know, may be, maybe it's the things they're creating. Maybe they're a creative type. It's their music. It's their art or, you know, whatever we, we create for ourselves, these self-imagined mountains. And we think that life's about ascending up to the top of them. Right. Mm. Um, Cause we think that it's found up there, but Jesus actually kind of flips that on its head. He goes, actually what it's found in the descent, the yeah. descent into the reality that we don't need reform. You actually need rescue. Yeah. And you're burning yourself out and excluding everyone around you in your pursuit to becoming the ideal self. Um, but all the while, everything you've ever wanted in life, everything your heart has ever are restless hearts, yeah. right? As Augustine said, our hearts are restless, right? Until they find their rest in thee our restless hearts, everything they've ever wanted and sought after in people, friendships, paychecks, pleasure, politics, and the praise of others has always freely and fully been ours in Jesus because Jesus has actually been around for a very long time. (laughs) He's the uncreated one. 
He was there in the beginning. He's our maker. He's our sustainer. Our hearts beat because of him. And the Bible reveals him as a reconciler. And the scriptures say he has done this in eternity past. He has always been a God that loves us. And we just scurry about in life, dude, trying to find it in a million other places. And those things that I just mentioned, people, paychecks, pleasure, politics, the praise of others, they are small little glimpses. They're shadows. They're flickering light bulbs of the true light of the world. The one who truly brings these things to us and gives it to us. Get this, bro. Freely. No strings attached. No payment. No warning. No working. No earning. None of it. Mm-hmm. It's given freely as a gift. Yeah. That's, I guess that's why the Bible calls it good news. You know, we hear the word gospel, and I think sometimes either we don't know or we forget that the word literally means good news. The good news of a God who saw us in our need and chose to become flesh and dwell among us, the story of Jesus, and rescue us, right, through his death and resurrection, so that we could live into this very life, him, him himself that he created, that he gave to us, that he's brought us into. And I guess the struggles we have, like on one hand, that's such a beautiful reality that you're talking about. Um, And then, but at the same time, like for so many people, it's almost like a matrix, you know? And what happens is we sort of turn like what we think life is and the pursuit of it and how it's achieved. And we take that and turn that into a reality and start seeing, you know, the actual reality of the life that we have in Jesus Hmm. as a matrix. You know what I mean? They almost like they, they kind of flip flop back and forth, you know, depending on who you're talking with. But regardless of where anyone lands on it, man, what I'm finding is, uh, you know, this, the, the spirit of the Pharisee, the religious right, you know, that we see in the scriptures and the spirit of the Sadducee, the religious left that we see in the scriptures. It's, uh, the same people that fought Jesus, right. Um, under the myth that, that they knew more, knew better, hmm. is just as much alive today yeah. as it was then. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would say through the, just the, how the internet works, man, it's almost just been amplified even louder. Right. And, you know, as we've already stated, man, like we, it's something we find ourselves, right, stuck in at times and wrestling with. I mean, God is good and present, right, despite our, our unbelief and our unwillingness to let go and to trust him at times. And it's just, man, it's just like a reality that we're in. There's a constant pointing to your identity is your age, it's your sex, it's your orientation, it's your ethnicity, you know, or it's where you're born and where you work and what you've accomplished, you know what I mean, for your country. Yeah. Right. The problem in the world is people in who are in power, you know what I mean? That's the problem in the world. And we need to put the poor in power or no, 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 no. The problem in the world are people who are trying to overcome those that are in power. And then, right, there's the solution. You know, the solution is, you know, to move this here and to make this person this and to, and I'm just kind of looking at this thing. And I'm like, no, man, no, God says, no, that, that's not your identity. That's not our problem. And that's not our solution. So you find Jesus coming along and saying, yeah, those things won't work be- because they can't like all yeah. the, you know, all the ingenuity, you know what I mean? That we come up with all the engineering to manufacture a better you and me. Yeah. It won't work because it can't. Yeah, There's a better national, story here. Yeah. And this national dialogue, all these questions and, you know, um, these ideologies that are pitted against, you know, each other's and all these talking, all these talking points, they're keeping us from asking the one question, yeah. right? The, the most important question. Um, what would you do if you knew you were already held by love that just will not let you go? That just yeah. will not quit on you. Yeah, there's what a if you did? What if you did not have to become anything in order to belong? belong? Yeah. See, everything is built on 
earning merit, um, but inclusion into right, the God who made all things and what he's doing in the world is the opposite of that. The touch point is grace. Um, the thing that made the thing that made it possible is the finished work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's a reckless proposition because I think we all like the idea of being free people, yeah. right? We actually balk at the idea that we're slaves at anything. My community is going through John's gospel right now. And Jesus is talking about how the sons are free, like children of his that are really just marked by faith and dependence on him. You know, that's the opposite of that, you know, boastful independence that we talked about the spirit at work in the world. He goes, yeah, actually the sons of God, they're just, they're free. And if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. And these Pharisees are like, we've never been enslaved to anything, which is kind of funny (laughs) coming from a Jewish person to say, you've never been enslaved to anything. Yeah, It's just such a shocking statement, but we hate the idea of freedom. You pointed to the Roman soldier standing next to them. (laughs) Yeah. We hate the idea that we might not be free and we might need to be rescued and that we can't make our way out on our own. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, and yet at the same time, it's everything we need, you know, which is kind of odd. Like the right. one thing we need the most, we fear the most. And the one thing we long for the most, we run from the fastest. And it's it's just this weird sort of like anomaly, man. I, I don't know any other way to put it that you just find in human nature throughout every age and culture and time. Uh, but the good news is there's a God who's persistent. There's a God who's already met us where we are. There's a God who's already declared you are free, right? I mean, even in the book of Galatians, it says for freedom, Christ yeah. set you free. I love that because it's... I love the you know the first word in that the, the one that gets overlooked the most for as in like the reason for this for the this reason purpose, I yeah. came and did this for freedom I set you free right so the question really does stand what would you do I feel like that's a, that's the constant thing that I, I find myself I feel like God's like looking back at me in my moments of despair and He's going what would you do right now if you really believed that you were already held by a love that that won't let you go that'll never let you go. And it's like, man, so it's so like earth shaking and so inviting. And I think there's a lot that he has declared about that life. I think there's a lot that he's declared about why we fear it and why we, right. And why we choose it and what it looks like and how it pertains to the everyday, you know what I mean? That we all live in. And what I'm finding is uh, there's almost, um, there's a, there's a, like maybe a lack of understanding or, uh, you know, around that conversation. There's a, there's a lot of people that I, that I meet with and talk with that have a heart for this and they hear about this God and they're like, man, that's way different than the God that I heard about in the Bible. Um, and of course, then they look back at you and they're like, why do you, why do you say these things? Why do you think God's like this? And I'm like, dude, it's right here. It's written right here. And they're like, I never, I never knew that. I've never seen that. I've never heard that. And I was like, hmm. So then maybe that's what this platform needs to be. Maybe, maybe Lark is is pulling back and going, dude, let's create a platform, a teaching platform, a good news platform, articles, podcast, books that we can write talks that we can do, events that we can host, videos that we can create, live chats that we can produce to help people see what God is truly like so they can so they can rest in what Jesus has really done. Mm. This is who he is. This is what he's like. This is the actual life he's given us according to him. His words, not ours. Yeah. And then we're going to unpack that and we're going to teach on that. And this this podcast, the Larkcast, is going to be one piece in that puzzle. And so whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your background is, 
whether you are have been burnt by this thing that's called church or burned out on this thing that's called church, um, or you're bothered by this thing that's called church, <laughs> or you're a part of it and you're burdened for neighbors who have been burnt by this thing that could be very beautiful. Or you're burdened by the people that you rub shoulders with day right. in and day out, you know, in the church that that are just, you know, they think God is someone to appease and, you know, yes. make them, uh, make him love them by what they do. Yeah. Yeah, man. We want, we want this to be a place where you can experience. Okay. We want Lark and all that we do to be something that offers you an opportunity to experience what God is, what God is truly like. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, you know, we talked about it in one of the, one of the things that I thought about that you and I've been pretty familiar with, and we've talked with other people about over the years is that story of Dario Chechny from chef's table on Netflix. You know, as I started thinking about Lark, that was the thing that hit me the most was the lesson that I learned watching that documentary on him. I call it the law of experience. And I had learned it long ago in the world of ministry, but it became really clear to me. I think watching that you got this Italian butcher in a small town who is in the family trade, who didn't want to be a butcher, right? But opted, you know, to uh, to become a veterinarian. But in the sudden loss of his father's life, had to move back home to take care of his family, and the family business of being a butcher was what would provide the means, right? And so he wrestles, right, and tells the story of how he got into it. And one of his biggest things was to value the whole cow, to look at this creature that God's made, and to value, right, this whole cow. And he goes, the problem, man, is I live in this place where all anyone wants is steak. That's all they want, steak. I mean, That's I don't, it. I don't blame Cow exists to make that. steak. But yeah. Yeah. Chuck the rest. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, the hooves and you know what I mean? The brains the and you know what I mean? All these things that he starts to talk about and they're like, what? Get out of here. And he tries to sell it and sell it and sell it and sell it. And no one's interested. And then he has this novel idea. I'm going to set a really long table right here where we live. I'm going to cook up all of these wonderful, wonderful things, you know, ingredients from this cow and right. i'm gonna invite people to come experience it because hmm. i believe that if they experience it they'll find what a joy it really brings yeah they'll jump in they'll consume Done. it yeah and all of a sudden he went from like no one in his town buying any of these things to everyone in his town and even beyond people all over the world have flown into this place right buying up all these parts of the cow that would normally just discarded as waste and i think just man there's such a beautiful lesson in that like just the power of what god has done and declared and seeing him through that lens and therefore seeing all of life through that lens to experience that is utterly life-changing. So, And that's Lark and that's the Lark cast. Yeah. Having something, right? So yeah. beautiful, right? Like we know God is like this by staring at the face of Jesus, by seeing how Jesus described God through the lens of the parables, yeah. by looking at the cross, by looking at the resurrection and we have this beautiful news and if you're the kind of person that's just coming around this and you're like man i want to learn more or if you're the kind of person that like you're just convinced god is truly like this and you just want to get this thing out to the world <laughs> yeah. i think the lard cast is us just saying man let's set the table let's whip it up let's put it down let's let you interact with it taste it see it all that and it really is a lark. Like, how else would you describe? How else would you describe the reality that single-handedly God rescued the entire cosmos and made everything right? Yeah, yeah. Like right there, dude. That's a part of the definition of lark, is it not? I mean, the word literally means something done reckless, something done for fun. Like you just said, like 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 bringing a world back into the dance it was created for. Yeah, it means something mischievous. Yep. Right. Like this 
like this mystery of the kingdom that's bubbling right under the surface of all of our noses. Yeah. Right. Just, just inviting us to just open up and see, you know, who he is and what life really is in him. Yeah. There's a reason why we get these secondary definitions of a lark, you know, as people watch lark larks, you know, the bird fly high up in the sky and singing and being free. It speaks to that, like unrestraint, that unhibited freedom. And Mm. in Christ, we see a God that loves without restraint. There is no restraint. His grace knows no bounds and he will not stop at anything in order to love us and welcome us and include us. And he's done so already in his son. That's why it's news. It's not advice of something that's yet to come. That's yet to be done. It's news of something that already happened. That's what news is. It's not a to-do list. It's not Not a a checklist. It's not a condition to meet. It's not right boxes to check. It is a declaration of who he is and what he's already done. So I, I think that's why our tagline for this Larkcast is 200 proof grace, drunk straight, no chaser, no chaser, right? Just come and experience the reckless grace of God throughout all of this thing that we refer to, all this phenomenon we refer to as life. And we're going to kick off our next podcast, right? Diving into that. So if you're, uh, can't wait to invite you, man, like tune back in next week because podcast two, we're going to be kicking off basically a a journey into what Jesus has said about what God is like through these stories that we call parables. And man, let me just tell you now, dude, I don't think I've ever been more excited to teach something in 20 years of ministry because like these stories that Jesus tells, when you take them in, in the face of what he's saying versus what we want him to be saying. On one hand, it's crushing, but on the other hand, dude, it is the most liberating thing you'll ever, ever experience on this side of the veil. Yeah, man. I'm excited too. Can't wait. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>